The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. The Capital Weekly Podcast is a production of Open California and is sponsored by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and uh, welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Ann Dunsmer, political veteran political strategist, uh, familiar with many political campaigns, many Republican campaigns, and is involved, uh, very much involved in the recall election this year. And that's what we wanted to chat about. So, Ann, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. So I, I, my basic question is that recalls tend not to get a whole lot of traction. But this one, the sixth one, I think, against Newsom, uh, but this one did, and it seemed to it seemed to somehow get professionalized pretty quickly. And I want to ask you about that. What happened from the beginning of this to suddenly uh, become a full fledged campaign? Well, um, first of all, the first two, and I, I, you know, I'm not aware of six, but um, definitely aware of two prior to this one, sort of back to back to back. Um, and a lot of the folks that were working on this recall. Uh, and from a volunteer leadership standpoint, um, learned a lot from the first two go arounds and really felt like they had ironed it out. And when I, you know, I was at the time doing the Mike Garcia special election. Um, so I, you know, they said, we need you to come on board. This is getting over our head. I mean, this was pretty quickly into the, the process and they really couldn't get anybody to professionally to help them. And if they did, it was, a, you know, this kind of I remember them telling me one person who has a history of dealing with uh, ballot initiatives um, uh, kind of barreled in and said, you know, I'm going to do it, but I'll do it. I'm going to be completely in charge and you won't have anything to say of it. And you're talking about, you know, at the time, about 100,000 volunteers that they had a responsibility to that were very passionate about this and had been on at least one of the prior uh initiatives and had you know knew quite a bit and but they were really having a hard time getting through all the legalities and the you know name changes on things and so forth so they started talking to me i want to say in march and i just said i i I, you know right at that point i was in the special election primary and then you know six weeks after that a general you know a runoff and I was like, I can't, I can't even know. I don't even remember my name right now. So you got to call me back when we're done with the Garcia stuff. And towards the end of the Garcia set, you know, runoff, I started getting burned out. And so did, you know, you know, my relationship with Mike had been hard charging for a long time. And I figured, you know, I don't need to continue on to the general election. He can handle it from here. And, you know, he's got to learn a few things. I can't, you know, do it with him. So I told Oren that I would be interested. So sometime in the beginning of July, and I we didn't have a lot of time. So, you know, I ended up saying exactly what the other person said was, I can't do this and nurse you through it. I can't spend hours telling you why. Uh, we just need to go forward. You either have to trust me or not. It wasn't a, I have to be in charge. It was, you have to trust me. If you can trust me, uh, I'll put the time into it because it was a real long shot. With 100,000 volunteers you mentioned, uh, how were they central? Were they centrally organized and administered yeah. in some way? Or yeah, they- no, he, they had an amazing website organizing. They had a great structure. They had, 
you know, 250, you know, admin managers, you know, people who were trained to deal with administrating other people collecting signatures. It was massive and it was important because we've outlawed a lot of forms of signature gathering in the state, not outlawed it, but made it hard, you know, with the, yeah. you know, with the independent contractor status thing really being impossible, uh, you, you can't really get the signatures through paid signatures very easily. It's very risky. Um, and so anyway, um, so we came on board and I said, you know, and I had worked on the 2003 recall election with Dave Gilliard, and I had also worked on the Rose Bird recall, not as a senior staff person, but, you know, that was pretty passionate. Um, And so, um, you know, I recognize, look, we have to fabricate a lot in politics to keep it interesting because it's boring as toast. Hey, no way. No way. Nobody fabricates. Yeah. So I was looking at it going, oh, my gosh, you can't make this stuff up. These people are real. They have real stories. They have real reasons. They need help. Uh, all we have to do is channel it so that it's efficiently moving forward and exponentially instead of sort of creeping. And um, they weren't creeping. They were doing a good job and they still are. So they had 800 permanent, permanent signature locations. I, I was wowed by everything that they had done. I mean, our consultants never would have you know, set up that kind of infrastructure. They would have viewed it as a waste of time and spent 10 times the money. Uh, just to interrupt really quickly, how does that compare? You said they had 800 signature gathering locations. How does that compare to the 2003 recall? Well, we didn't have people opening up their restaurants and retail businesses to peti- signature gathering. Well, you know, the 2003 recall was really about paid signatures. And and that's when back in the day when you, you could have an independent contractor, you know, 15, 20, 30, 100, 300 independent contractors collecting signatures. Um yeah. So totally different environment. Totally, 100% different environment. And and I, by the way, for the record, didn't really like that environment because it was kind of like a carny. You know, the people that would come in from all around the country to come in here and collect signatures. And, you know, everybody collecting a signature represents the effort. (laughs) And and if you've signed petitions and you've seen some of the people circulating them, you'd be sitting there going, wow, ouch. (laughs) So, um. So they they had gathered, I don't know, about 60 or 70,000 signatures and were holding, they were in a pattern where they were holding on to them and turning them in, um, you know, on designated days. And they, you know, and I was like, maybe we should collect signatures and not really let the Democrats know how we're doing. We're not required to turn them in, but, and furthermore, we need to validate them before we turn them in, uh, make sure there are no duplicates. So we started validating signatures very early on. I pulled Gilliard in. We managed it. We were a great team. Um, you know, I would say we we all felt we all fell away from each other in October because I think they just got real scared of the sort of hasty decisions that we had to make. And how did the pandemic play into all this? Right, because you're, we, you know, we've got a obviously got the pandemic going on then, and it's going on now. Well, the pandemic had a really critical point uh, to it but later on. So they, 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 they were not gathering the signatures fast enough when we knew that we needed to go into the mail. It was the cheapest way we could raise money from it. Uh, and it ended up performing extraordinarily well. We ended up collecting about 650,000 signatures through the mail. And then at the end, we gathered about 250,000 signatures through, um, through paid signature gathering in the last few weeks, just to make absolutely sure. 
Um, the pandemic, what that did is that really aided our ability to qualify for an extension. So, um, you know, before I separated from the campaign, we made a decision or they we all separated um we made a decision to pursue the extension and we were awarded the extension about a week before the signatures were due at which point i opened up rescue california i had been away from the campaign for about three or four weeks um but i was keeping decision, you about, uh, the decision was the was james arguelles court the court decision yeah. in sacramento would would you describe that as the sort of the lifesaver as far as oh, the, uh, absolutely yeah. uh, what role did Oren Heatley play? And I mean, he's got a lot of attention. Well, I, wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't have gone to work for the original petitioners if it weren't for Oren. And therein lay the problem. I only wanted to work with Oren. I didn't want to work with anybody else. I didn't want to take direction from 10 volunteers <laughs> who had never done this before. I was only going to. And so that just couldn't happen. He had a board that he had to deal with. And, and uh, so Oren is the 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 level head on the um you know on the original petitioners he's somebody who should be respected and revered for the choice he made to pursue this the um the campaign now over the last six or eight weeks say mm-hmm. there's been a lot of fundraising obviously yeah. a lot of money coming on both sides i was i just looked up the numbers through through the la times tracker through yesterday and the total amount is over 110 million, 75 roughly on the Newsom side, and 35, which is pretty respectable on the other side. The the right. biggest, I guess, the biggest amount is Cox. I think he was seven. And no, I, you really are you sure? Did you look at the ballot committee for Elder? For Elder, so each, yeah, each candidate is allowed to have their candidate committee and a ballot committee. Uh, okay, and I'm pretty sure Elder's raised over nine million dollars. Uh, and into his candidate committee. And I'm pretty sure he's raised as much into his ballot committee. How does that play out in the final, we're in the final week or two now? Well, all of those, all of those dollars are bullets at at Newsom. Uh And so it's accurate for you to add them up, but I I would go back and look at the ballot committees. Uh, I think the substantial one's going to be, is going to be elder. Were you surprised at the numbers of candidates who a number of people wanted to be involved in the recall supporting Newsom. Were you surprised there weren't more major candidates? I, I think Faulkner would call at least professional candidates, former mayor, Cox had run for governor. Um, but were you surprised that there weren't more candidates of greater Republican standing who wanted to get involved? No, I, you know, and by the way, I, I wouldn't marginalize Doug Osey. I wouldn't marginalize Kevin Kiley. I wouldn't marginalize Ted Gaines. Uh, a lot of people forget that Ted Gaines is running. Look, it's a game of numbers. You might it might now let's for, let's pretend Elder's not in the race. The winner could well just win with 10 percent. Elder is going to probably win with a lot more than that. The question is whether or not question one is going to win, because that's going to be the more difficult um, battle. Um, you know, he's got a commanding lead. But I knew that each of them had the ability to get a million to two million votes. Elder will get more than that. But and I think John will get it. But we needed them. We needed those types of people. And if you look at them, they're all geographically dispersed. You have Kylie and Osi up north. You had Ted Gaines in the Central Valley. You had Caitlyn Jenner um, and Larry Elder in Los Angeles. 
two vastly different demographics, by the way. There's just probably no overlap between Jenner and elder voters. Okay. And then you have Faulkner and uh, Cox down in San Diego, and you have a fairly prominent um, no party preference candidate on the board of supervisors from the Inland Empire. I mean, everybody knows who their local supervisor is. Trust me. So he could have probably come up with a probably will come up with a million or so. Um, the, the, the yes vote has to get over six and a half million if we have a 50 or 60 percent turnout. So we needed those people to bring in those, you know, varying uh, type. Kevin Pathrath will probably bring in up to a million votes to the ballot. Sorry, you're talking about Larry Elder sort of emerging as the front runner to replace Newsom if Newsom is is replaced. Do you feel like that has changed? To me, if watching from the outside, it seems like it's changed the dynamic because now yeah. the governor has someone to run against. No, against no question. Concept uh, mm-hmm. is one thing, but now he can actually say, "If if I, you know, if I'm recalled, this is your governor." Can you speak to the way that that's changed the you know the structure of this race? Sure. I, I think that it's taken the wind out of the other candidates' sails, and it's also put a lot of wind back in Newsom's sail, literally. Um, and I think that, um, you know, Larry, if we can get over 50 percent, he's probably going to be governor. And I think that's legitimate for, the, for Newsom to say that. Um, but there's a good and a bad to that. You know, uh, we have to get not just the Republican vote, but we have to get the left of center of new, no party preference and Democrat. We need to get 25 to 30%, and we were. Um, it's probably dipped about a point, but then you have to wonder how much is that offset by Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders ads? You know, it's one thing to target a Bernie Sanders ad just to the Hispanic community or just to the students, but they're doing broadcast TV with a Bernie Sanders ad, which means it's gonna irritate the left of center people. So does that offset elder? Does it still, you know, the elder factor? Is there a Sanders factor? There's an Elizabeth Warren factor. Apparently she's coming out to campaign. Well, that's going to be, you you can't put her in front of a a centrist Democrat and expect to win that person over. At best, you're just going to get them not to vote. And that's a problem for them. So again, these are factors that we won't be able to measure until after the campaign's over. Are those 100,000 volunteers we talked about earlier, are they still out there knocking on doors? You know, the party has a big effort. We have a big effort. We have, you know, Rescue California wasn't really, you know, set up to handle a volunteer base. We wanted to leave that to the original petitioners, Um, but they didn't have the money. It's very expensive to wage um, an efficient get out the vote effort with volunteers. You still have to, it still costs money. Uh, You have to have collateral materials. You've got to have and, you know, we're going after no party preference Democrats and low, low uh, propensity Republicans, I guess. And the state party can go after the Republican, you know, the frequent, the the high propensity voters. Um, But we had to print a lot of material and we had to um, really organize. We have a whole, you know, six figures a month to organize that. Um, And so we were coordinating a lot of a lot of different elements like women's groups, faith-based groups, you know, college students, and and not just locally, but nationally. And what's with talk show hosts anyway? You know, I mean, okay, Larry Elder, talk show host. Bruce Hershenson, you probably remember, had run. I do. Um, yeah. 
but honestly, until he was involved in the race, I'd never heard of Bruce Hershenson. And honestly, I'd never heard of Larry Elder. I don't listen to AM radio anyway. When I listen to FM, I usually listen to old music. So it's not like I really knew who these people are. And it amazes me that they're on a statewide stage, Elder is, you know, and now a lot of people know his name. And from before, he, from my perspective, he was totally obscure. So, well, I, I think your perspective is probably a bit narrow, unfortunately. <laughs> no, so he has a giant name ID, to be honest with you. One other question. After this is over and you relax, uh, what's in store for you? What's next? I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, it's not going to be mindless political rhetoric. That's for sure. Those days are over for me. I I really am not in the mood to promote or support or put my heart and brain, which really have to work together if you want to do what we're doing now. A lot of people have a lot of heart on this campaign. Uh, my job was to to bring their brain up to speed on on how you know matters of the heart work. So I feel I feel like there's a lot to be done um, to deconstruct and reconstruct and recalibrate the way people view politics. I think politics needs to become depoliticized. I think people who lean on old methodologies and, you know, frankly, BS, um, you know, it's like a bunch of used car salesmen. I think you have to really talk to people. You have to understand their issues. You have to be on the ground. Um, you have to feel it in order to understand it and promote it. Um, and, and that's what I think. I, I, I just don't think I can go backwards and do something that's, you know, not another boulder going up a very steep hill. <laughs> <laughs> and Dunsmer, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, this was great. Thank you for taking the time. I think Anne is going to stick around when we do our, oh. our worst week in California politics segment. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Who did we come up with? Was it John Cox? Well, I mean, here we are. So we, that's that's up for discussion. <laughs> I don't know if Anne wants to get And, no, and you, you can keep track of this. How much money has John Cox put into his campaign and where is he polling right now? Well, he's polling in the single digits, um, but, you know, it ain't over yet. Forty nine percent of the people we found have not made it who are likely to vote, have not made a decision about who to vote for. Unlike the recall itself, uh, where there's only a three percent undecided on it. So, you know, John, I think you'll see is going to change up his strategy a little bit. Um, Less bears. No bears. Um, well, the bear got a lot of coverage, amazingly enough. Well, they usually do. I mean, look, they want serious reporting and then the bear gets, you know, nationwide coverage. Yeah. yeah. Everybody just wants to know who the bear's trainer is, actually. (laughs) But I, you know, I think you're, you know, it's in our best interest for all of our candidates to put their best foot forward. And I and I hope and believe that they're all going to do that in the last two weeks. I think it's going to be critical. I think these last two weeks are going to be more important than the last two weeks we've been through. Fair enough. So, so I would say if we're, we're picking who had the worst week in California politics, looking at how much money John Cox is in last time I saw, I think he's polling at 2%, I think. So uh, given that no one else seemed to have had that terrible week, to me, that if I was John Cox, I mean, I don't have the millions and millions of dollars he has, but I would be a little bummed out that I had spent 
eight plus million dollars and was polling. Uh, I think he was polling it about the same as Doug Osi who dropped out. So for me, that was not be a good week. I, I'm open to I'm open. To- well, actually, I didn't see that. I only saw polls where he and Faulkner were even. Oh, OK. Let's so, you was, know. Uh, did you see wasn't didn't the PPIC poll just come out that they poll who was doing best? Uh, I don't recall. Okay. I did see the poll, but I don't recall. Okay, yeah. well, maybe, you know, I'm open. We maybe have to come up with another friends. person. We may have to come up with someone else who had a bad I know there are others out there. Uh, <laughs> we may have well, to read that. But if we don't, this works okay, too. It's fine. Yeah. Well, wait a second. Now, you know, what about anybody who's supported by Joe Biden or Kamala Harris? Yeah, Biden definitely had it. And if we did national politics, he oh, would yeah. be at the top of Biden the had a shitty week. He, he, yeah. he sank to 40%. She sank to 36 Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. if we were doing national politics, I think it would be a pretty easy call this yeah, week. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that there's anybody, maybe there's somebody in California that's that plugged in really nationally. Uh, well, prior, yeah, to, prior to Afghanistan, Gavin Newsom was scheduled to use Joe Biden in his commercials. That and Kamala true. Harris was going to do a stop by. That's and right. now he's been relegated to Elizabeth, you know, Bernie Sanders in his TV by. So I don't know. I might be a little slanted, but I'd say he had a tough week. Although that's true. But on the flip side, I think Sanders beat beat Biden like a drum in the last election in California for Did a Democratic he? primary. Oh, God. I think. Oh, in the primary. Yeah. Yeah. In the primary, I think Sanders. Well, of course, in the primary. Yeah. yeah I think he beat uh, in California. He lost in 2016 against uh, against Clinton in the primary here narrowly. But I think he actually beat, did quite well in the primary here in 2020. I don't remember the exact, maybe John will remember the exact numbers, but I think he did quite well. I know that Elizabeth Warren did not do well at all in the primary here in 2020. So I, don't I think know. we're going to have to search around for someone who had a bad week. Well, it's still, hey, we're recording this on Friday morning. There's still some time. This was a lot of fun. So thanks well, for your time. And, and thank you, Grant. Thanks again. Take care. Nice meeting you guys. Bye. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.